Are you ready? Yeah, sorry, I'm ready. Hey, does this suit make me look fat? No, 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 your face does. Okay, kids, here we go. Next seminar up December 8th through the 10th, then February 9th through the 11th. Coaching workshop going on October 21st in Long Island. This is open to anyone with no prerequisites. This is for personal trainers, fitness instructors, or folks that want to casually coach their family and friends. We go over the starting strength methods and principles on barbell training, and participants will take each other through the five-step deadlift setup. There is a discount available for active personal trainers, so check out the link for details. Self-sufficient lifter camp November 4th in Wichita Falls. Press and bench press camp going on November 11th in Orlando at Starring Strength Orlando. Deadlift and power clean camp December 2nd on Long Island. Couple squat and deadlift camps November 4th in Indianapolis at Starring Strength Indianapolis. And then November 12th in Baltimore at 5x3 training. And finally, squat, press, and deadlift camps on the list. These are three lift camps going on. Brussels, Belgium at Brussels Barbell October 21st and December 9th in London. Got a fresh update of top 10 markets that we're looking to put franchise gyms in. So listen up. Looking at Arlington, Virginia, Charlotte, Raleigh, and Durham in North Carolina, Phoenix, Jacksonville, Florida, Kansas City, Missouri, Vegas, Milwaukee, Detroit, and finally Norfolk, Virginia. If you have any interest in those markets, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom, hit the Own a Gym tab, and find out more information. And as usual, for more info on anything else that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, once again, we are here with you uh, broadcasting from our opulent studios here in the heart of downtown Wichita Falls. And beautiful <laughs> downtown, beautiful, Wichita, downtown, Wichita, downtown Wichita, Falls. Wichita Falls. The if most you can see outside of this internet. room and see, go outside and, and just look around and see the... the the beauty that is the blue skies and golden opportunities blue skies and <laughs> golden opportunities that constitute the whole of wichita falls i wonder who came yes. up with that that saying some guy in new york it's great man <laughs> i love seeing that billboard coming driving home from the airport blue skies golden opportunities oh, what 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 i loved was uh going to new mexico and seeing God, the land of enchantment yeah no shit. and it's a fucking shithole most of it <laughs> land of enchantment <laughs> it's such a shame new mexico is so like such a beautiful state it's a beautiful state Fuck, but man. it's it's run by criminals yeah, it really is the whole damn thing is run it by really cr- what's that woman's name michelle yeah, Lujan yeah, Grisha. yeah right right she needs to be jailed <laughs> Shit. She needs to be in a federal fucking prison. You know? You don't, you don't want to. God. I, that's, yeah. that's an amazing deal that they've got themselves out there. It really is. You know what's great coming into Wichita? Number one, number one recipient in the United States of federal money. Oh, I believe it. New Mexico. Yeah. How? Oh, yeah. Like their biggest town is like 35,000 people. What are they? Oh, no. Albuquerque's bigger. Albuquerque, yeah, Albuquerque, uh, Albuquerque thousand people. Uh, Santa Fe Santa probably seventy five. But there's a lot of uh, 
A lot of nothing. There's a lot of aid going to New Mexico. Lots sure. and lots and lots of aid yeah. goes to New Mexico. More aid than any other state in the United States. Damn. It starts off like that. That's wild with such and a then small you get a, population. a really. criminal for the governor. Yeah. And, oh, God. Yep. Yeah, it's very odd. You know, one, of the, one of the great things about coming into Wichita Falls, though, is that, <laughs> is that water feature. You know what I'm talking about? The, water the, the waterfall. The, the fountain. No, not the, the Oh, waterfall. the little pond. Right. The pond. The falls. The, no, that's, I'm talking about the little. The when you're coming biggest on. Joke yeah. In the United yeah, of States. course. Of yeah. course. When you're coming up 287, uh-huh. you're getting, getting right into town, the, the speed limit changes to 60. Right. And then over <laughs> in that median. Up 281, going north on 281. Yeah, 281, 287, whatever it is. Right. And then there's. Well, that, it's <laughs> two different roads. It's the, they're, <laughs> they're merged, Rip. It's the same road. 281, 287, it's the same there. Not south of town. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Out. Right. Coming up from Dallas, there's a uh, little pond. There's a little pond with a <laughs> fountain that's just like sp- oh, 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 you're talking about out there on 287, just west, east. Like I of, said, yes, 287, right, just that not little 281, just yeah, that little splurt of water. That's not 281. Out of Every you motherfucker, <laughs> you're the one that said 281. I never said 281. You did say 281. Did I say 281? Play the tape back. When you're coming Biggest on, joke yeah, in the yeah, of States. course, of yeah. course. When you're coming up 287, uh-huh. you're getting, getting right into town. The the speed limit changes to 60, right? And then over <laughs> in that median, up 281, you're going north on 281. Play it back. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna play, play it back, back. and yeah. it, You're not gonna say 281. Please yeah. play it back. Yeah, right. yeah, we'll edit that out. <laughs> Just for next. All right. Um, <laughs> it's funny because every winter, every single winter, a car ends up in that. A car's in it. Every winter, really. Every single one person Somebody hits the brakes and slides well, right into it. Well, they're looking at it. the beauty of it, and then they just, they're just sliding. <laughs> they're they want to get a closer look. They're mesmerized by the fucking by water feature. Beauty. Let me get a closer look. <laughs> and they spent money on that. I know. They spent money on the falls. Oh, there's a they big... They spent money on the goddamn crepe myrtle abstract. I, this is this is a strange yeah. place. There's a big... It really is. There's no reason for that to be out. There's a big, like, stone monument that says Wichita Falls. Yeah. And then just lights on it and shit. There's no reason for that to be there at all. <laughs> and it probably costs no, look, $800,000. It will eventually occur to everybody they're in Wichita Falls. <laughs> when they, right? You don't need a sign that says that. I mean, the blue skies and golden opportunities are so readily apparent that you know immediately you're in Wichita Falls. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh man. man. All right, anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about some shit later that we've decided we're going to talk about. But right now, we're going to bring to you this week's installment of Comments, comments from, from the, the Heaters. <laughs> oh, and this is a good batch. This is a good batch. Most of these are in reference to our recent uh clip of uh, sumo is wrong in powerlifting too uh several people have taken exception to to my assertion that sumo is wrong and uh for example maybe rip would have been a better power lifter if he pulled sumo What's gay is saying someone who pulled 700 is cheating because he pulled sumo. Let's see your fat asses do it. It's always a solid argument. Well, I, you know, I pulled 700 out of the rack. Is that okay? 
would have been eight if it was that, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if all you have to do is pull it. Right. You know, I, pull. I did 735 for a set of five shrugs one time and didn't even hurt myself. Damn. That's what I'd assume of. It's just shrugs out of the right. So it, if any way you can pull it is okay for these people. <laughs> Oh shit! All right. Didn't didn't Chase pull seven hundred beltless? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, he pulled seven hundred beltless, and he didn't use sumo. He didn't do sumo. Right, and and I think I've repeated in that in that clip that the heaviest deadlifts that have ever been pulled in competition have been pulled conventional, not sumo. You fucking gay boys. I, you know, I, I don't mean that it's gay as much as I mean you're a pussy for cheating the pool because that's what you're doing when you do sumo. You're cheating the pool. You figured out an easier way to do it. That's what you did when you did sumo. And that's why everybody does it that way, except for high school football coaches. They do it that way because they're stupid. And they don't know any better. And that's what they've seen done on YouTube, so that's what we're going to do, too. That's the analysis used in high school football, strength and conditioning. Oh, God. All right. People pulling sumo in competition usually have athletic-looking bodies with strong, muscular legs. No, they don't. That's good. <laughs> People pulling conventional in competition usually have fucked up builds with weird short torsos and long legs, or they're fat. That's the that's, opposite. That's nonsense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not true. That's just, this guy's just typing here. Right? <laughs> Sumo is how you actually pick up most objects in real life. And for most people without strange body proportions, conventional is just turning the low back into a limiting factor for no fucking reason. The low back into a limiting factor for no fucking reason. It's got to know how anything and works. And once again, <clears throat> let me point out that the heaviest deadlifts ever pulled in competition uh, are conventional, right? Uh, now, listen to this. Sumo also pairs well with low bar squatting by using the quads more instead of just choosing the posterior chain dominant form for both squats and deads. But hey, the range of motion is less and you don't want an old guy in Texas to think you're gay, so it's a bad lift. All right, now. Well, that last part was actually accurate. The last <laughs> two sentences were actually well, accurate. That, yeah, that, that's the only part, Except only for sentence that's accurate. All right. But here, listen to this. Now, starting to think this wrong on this. It's a different poster, different email address, different username or whatever they call that. Uh, starting to think this wrong on this. If you pick up a box, anything from the floor, you automatically use sumo. Hands inside the legs. That is the natural movement pattern, and it goes especially well paired with the low bar squat as low bar targets posterior chain. That's two people. Now, we have apparently made it to a message board somewhere. <laughs> paired. Paired. Or we got some guy <laughs> that's just so intensely well gay with. that he <laughs> has to... 
comment on the same thing twice. Paired. <laughs> Paired. <laughs> it pairs well. With. Uh, it pairs. You've got to find ways to say it that more. It pairs often. well yeah. with a nice crisp Chardonnay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. That's just amazing. Now, why is Mark so bothered by people lifting efficiently? That's 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 an interesting analysis. Anything you can do to pick up more weight is more efficient, even if it cuts four inches off the range of motion. So half they, 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 These people just don't understand the argument. Is what of course not. Is what Otherwise, they wouldn't be typing. They don't understand anything, or they wouldn't be on comments from the haters, now, would they? All right. Okay. This dude ever not negative? No. Where's the fun in that? Where's the fun in being positive? All right. All right. Now, here's the one I, I don't understand. Uh, the strict press that ss teaches is this still about the sumo this is sumo is wrong in powerlifting too I, I, oh he's what he's, does he have to what's that talk, he's he's trying to be uh funny about the the the, the press and the layback <clears throat> oh yeah yeah he's in. well um, does he not understand well no of course what, no, no. Yeah, well, what, what am i asking yeah why am i saying that all right this is the dumbest professional i think i've ever listened to if you can't do heavy weight with it, why would you do it? As if that makes any sense. Now listen to this brilliant statement. Your muscles don't care about weight. They care about tension. Oh. I wonder what produces the tension. Interesting. <laughs> and how that, that tension production would be quantified. That's uh, fascinating. But he doesn't know what quantified means, so that was... That's lost. All right. All right. On a different topic altogether. New to the squat start here. This is Steve Ross's video. I'm kind of surprised in today's world how much he touched her. Is this his girlfriend or something? He could have just used words. <laughs> yeah, Steve Ross, big creep, man. <laughs> just looking for reasons to touch people. Just, that's all down. He's... <laughs> He just, you know, he never, he doesn't touch enough women, so he has to do it on videos. Instructional videos. Why, if it wasn't for instructional videos, Steve would never have a woman to touch, would he? Yeah, because we don't, you yeah, know, touching is not part of the thing. No, absolutely no, not. No, no, we no, just, you don't touch people when you coach them. I prefer to I prefer to sit back with a megaphone. Yeah. yeah. A I lot of pointing. I prefer to just type to them. Yeah. Let's just type. That's even better. Why don't we? Let's just use eight times more time of you know than it would to just put the person in there. Well, then you won't you won't use your voice too aggressively and and potentially and potentially cause offense. Yeah, cause offense. Exactly. Cause offense. Yeah, that really is the safest way to do it. Really is most lucrative too. It certainly is, especially if you're charging by the hour. (laughs) Oh man. All right. Well, that's that was fun. Another typical installment of comments, comments. from, from.
the haters. Okay. Now, what did we say we were going to do today? We said we were going to start doing it run up to Christmas. We're going to do a, a little plug for things we like. <clears throat> right? That's right. We did the pigtail last time. And uh, Nick and I just went down to uh, uh, driving school at a road course down by Decatur, Texas, down here south of us, southeast of us. And, uh, and, and in fact, we've had uh, the people that run this thing on the podcast before, Rick Schwallenberg. And uh, the, the name of the course is The Driver's Edge, right? Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Really, really good. Yeah, I told Rick at the end yesterday, I guess it was yesterday, um, you know, I, I go I go around and I do a lot of stuff. I pay a lot of people for training, and this is top, I mean, t- top to bottom, everybody involved is just fantastic. They yeah. put on a hell of a deal, man. It's, it's so well run. It's well run. There's no wasted time. Everybody knows what the hell they're supposed to be doing at any given time. There's not any errors to correct. There's... They're, they've done an they've excellent job together. of hiring the right people for the in-car instructors. You get a you get an instructor sitting with you in the car, and, and you do eight car? sessions on the on the track. Eight sessions. Eight on the track. sessions on the track. How much was it? Five. It's less bucks? than five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars. Eight sessions on the track. Each one's twenty to thirty. 35 minutes or so uh, but there's a guy sitting next to you coaching you the telling you time. what to do like a like a personal trainer only somebody knows what the fuck they're doing and, and, exactly and, and and what what rick talks about during the the classroom sessions it's identical to what the coach is telling you in the car oh, this is Very, organized this is man really good stuff the driver's <clears throat> edge.com and they they hold classes they hold these sessions in in road tracks all over the state i don't know if they're out of texas doesn't look like it houston there's one in uh down by austin down, uh, down by austin and then i think one in east texas somewhere and uh <clears throat> and the one at eagle canyon raceway which is where we were down by decatur and apparently that's a pretty unique and cool track because of all the hills yeah you know there's uh, hills and there's blind hills and blind corners and stuff and you've got to have your head out of your ass yeah which was my biggest problem <laughs> Yeah, it's very cool stuff. Uh, no, my biggest problem is your car. My BMW. <laughs> my my hot rod M6. You've you've actually is, have yet to complete the whole course. <laughs> I I haven't completed the whole course because I had a car issues. Code on the Porsche, and then I had a code on the. I hate to keep. No, telling I didn't have a code. I just lost my power steering on the right. On I hate the, to. Keep you, you know what's you this, funny man. as hell about me losing the power steering on the goddamn M6 in the middle of a lap. Were you on a turn or anything? Uh, no. I had just come out of a turn. Yeah. And I lose the power steering. Did it Did it pop? Did you hear something? Didn't hear yep. anything. Just couldn't just, move just, the wheel. Okay. Hurt my shoulder because my shoulder's injured right now. I yep. just Here I'm trying to, oh, shit, what's going on here? And I've got no power steering. And as it turns out, uh, it had broken a belt but what had happened is the tensioner the arm on the belt tensioner fractured oh shit broke in half wow. bobby showed me the picture today damn thing broke it's laying there in the damn on the frame and uh 
Yeah, it's uh, it's just absolutely amazing. If something bad can go wrong with a BMW, <laughs> it's happened to you. It's happened. Yeah, it, <laughs> if something bad can go wrong, it's going to, and that's just all there is to it. How so, how, how fast are you getting on that long straightaway? I was hitting well, about ninety five. Oh, I I wasn't going ninety five. <clears throat> I'm yeah. too afraid of that thing. To yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably good fast. you weren't. But you run the you run most of the track at sixty. You know, most people run most of that track 70. at somewhere between forty five and seventy five. Yeah, yeah. Because you just can't go any faster than that on the turns. Right. There are sixteen turns in this track, and uh, some of them are pretty damn good turns. Oh yeah. And uh, it's a. Uh, it's quite a deal. I mean, you, uh, I don't know about you, but I ran, I haven't run it that many times because I can't put a <laughs> car on the goddamn course that will stay there. But did you actually have the track memorized pretty much yeah. by the time you got through Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I'd, I've never gotten to that point. Yep. Yeah, and, the whole uh, second day I had the track pretty much down. Yeah, no, the, and it's that would make it a hell of a lot easier. Sure, because you could actually focus on. And I can the anticipate you have to what work. you're yeah, about to do, right. and without having to react to what you're seeing yeah. right then. So, yeah. but anyway, the the if any of you people that have got a car of that caliber, uh, you really ought to come to this thing and uh, well, a couple start things. driving, learn how to drive the car up to its potential. Yeah, because you're not doing it now. A couple things. Well, you don't even need that. I mean, you know, you got a Porsche and a BMW. There's Miatas there, there, there's Subarus there. There's a, I think more Miatas there than was anything else. Yeah, and they'll let you bring whatever you want. You know, the, I saw the first time I took that thing, I saw a guy in a Camry. Yep. In our group, there was uh, from Miatas all the way. There were some some really like souped up Mustangs. Like there, yeah. was, there was a two. There was a gal and a guy that had Mustangs with giant wings on them and stuff. And I, right. I guess they're pretty experienced, but they'd never been on that track, so they were in our group. <clears throat> Porsches, you know, all, all, it's just the full range. but um, whole bunch of people yeah, all <clears throat> kinds of different cars. I was talking to Rick about this uh, yesterday at the end, and I was like, you know, I was trying to think of how this would uh, apply to your day-to-day driving. And it, and it does, because if you think about it, you know, it's similar to anything, you know, shooting, for example, anything yeah. where you – where you apply a performance standard and you train to a performance standard, everything else gets easier. Right. You know, so if if you're learning to drive the car at, at the limits, and, and we weren't, you and I are not anywhere near the limits of our cars. Oh, oh no. You no, know, no. but if, you, if you're learning to drive at the limits of your ability and then eventually at the limits of the car's ability, then fuck, I mean, you're a safer driver for sure. Of course you are. And if you ever get in trouble... Um, you've you've already you know you've been in you a, know how to get out you've of been it. in a skid right. you've been you you potentially have gone off the track you've done all these things already so you're yeah I mean it just it, in terms of safety and confidence it's uh it, it's 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 a great experience so I highly recommend it look these guys up uh, if you're if you want to learn something that will be useful um, every time you get in the car whether you're driving like a maniac or not think about this is a good place to spend a little bit of money it really is if you got a car like this you've already spent money right but this will teach you about how to drive your car at a higher level than you're driving it right now yes the driver's edge.net is the website the driver's edge.net and uh for what you get out of this thing it's it's it really is 
It's so cheap. It's cheap, man, and it's it's good information, and I promise you, you'll enjoy it. Promise you, you'll enjoy it. All right, so uh, just add that to your Christmas list. That's what you need to do. That's right. Okay, now, you know, I, I wrote an article uh, a couple of weeks ago about a about first principles. I think I called it first things first. And uh, these are, uh, that article, you need to go read it. And uh, if you haven't read it yet, it's, I think it's a decent little piece. And it's got an, a, a bunch of information on it about, for example, why we are different than pretty much everybody else's strength and conditioning programs. All right. And the reason we are different is because we start from what are called first principles. And to just briefly go over this, uh, I want you to understand uh, that something simple like gravity and how gravity operates. It's kind of important in terms of uh, a, any kind of a useful, efficient analysis of a strength program. All right, and and you know this is this is kind of some stuff we go over on on Friday night at the uh, at the seminar. Uh, what is strength training? Strength training is. A program of exercise that increases your ability to produce force against an external resistance. Now, there are several important considerations in this. Several important considerations. Are leg extensions and leg curls on Nautilus machines part of a strength program? Why or why not? Well, I don't think they are because they leave too many things out they leave too many things out like our friend one of the haters earlier said muscle tension is what muscles care about tension well what produces tension well the force of gravity produces tension if you are operating in a gravitational framework and you are unless you're on the space station then you are Pro, you are producing force against something that has something to do with gravity. Unless you're pushing on a wall, which is not real smart, because it won't move. Then you you are not, you are pushing on something that is heavy, and it's heavy by virtue of the, of the fact that gravity is pulling it down. Now, once we realize that, We've got several things become real obvious, don't they? What way does what direction does gravity always work in? Gravity works in one direction. It works down toward the center of the earth, which is a vertical line from wherever you are. It's a downward vertical line. So any work done against gravity must be done in a direction that is vertical but the opposite direction, which is up. 
Now, this is why barbells work so well in this context. This is not difficult to understand. If you put a barbell on your back and squat down, stand back up with it, you have performed a normal human movement pattern, which is squatting down and standing back up, and you have applied resistance to that movement pattern in the same direction that you would apply it if you're picking something up off the ground out in your garage. Gravity is what you work against. If we train against gravity, then we are doing, oh, God, dare I say it, the most functional thing we can do to, but I, in, in this particular con, uh, context, the word functional is actually applicable. You know, we, we, we work against gravity in straight vertical lines. If gravity's down, we work up. When you pick a deadlift up on the floor, what are you doing? You're working against gravity. How much force do you have to produce against the deadlift to pick it up? Well, what's loaded on the bar? It's directly measured by the amount of weight you've got on the bar in pounds. Straight vertical line. Now, it's possible to move that bar in a direction that is not straight up and vertical. But about five seconds worth of thought will tell you that any work done against the barbell, which is loaded under gravity, any work done against that barbell must be done in the direction that is opposite of gravity, which is up. And any other movement is not work being done against gravity. And this is precisely why the most vertical bar path that you can produce is the most efficient way to lift weights loaded on a barbell. That's true for the squat, for the deadlift, the press, and the bench press, and the power clean. Now, each one of these lifts has its own little subtle mechanical nuances. And sometimes, uh, for example, in the power clean, you, it is not possible to go from the thigh at the top of the, of the pull to the rack position without some component of that bar path being non-vertical. There will be a little bit of a loop, and that's because of the mechanics of the lift. But the most vertical bar path that you can produce will be the most efficient. A great big giant loop in the barbell path is not efficient because that represents a whole bunch of motion that is not work being done against gravity. Now, this that should be obvious, right? And everything else that we do under the bar falls out of that analysis, and that's a first principle. Gravity is the first principle, okay? So, you know, we, we hear uh, uh, other programs be laboring under the, you know, 10 sets per body part or whatever else they want to say about, about the best way to get big and strong or get big. Anyway, they all seem to be concerned with hypertrophy and we are not concerned with hypertrophy 
That's the purview of exercise physiologists who can't be fired because they're tenured. <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, but, but we're not concerned with that. What are we concerned with? We're concerned with strength training. We're concerned with making you stronger in normal human movement patterns. But making you stronger gets gets you hypertrophy. That's the and that's the that, thing. That's that, the ugly little that's, secret. That's what's that, missing from, from that's what's missing from their analysis. Right. If I take you from as a as like a hundred and sixty five pound kid at five eleven, you're five eleven. You're one sixty five. You come to my gym. First day you squat one hundred and fifteen pounds for three sets of five, and I keep adding weight to the barbell and in seven or eight months you're doing 315 for three sets of five you have gotten bigger yep yeah and so you've gotten bigger doing sets of five to, to be clear we i mean we we actually are interested in hypertrophy we're the, interested the, in hypertrophy the, the question in is, that it is the mechanism by which strength increases. The question, yeah, that's that's undeniable. So that's when so, undeniable, so you can't go around and not you, Rip, but people people listen to you and they repeat, they parrot things you say. So when when you if you tell somebody we're not interested in hypertrophy, that's just false, right? We are interested in hypertrophy. The question is, how do you get hypertrophy? For most people, most of the time, the way to get hypertrophy, to the way to get bigger, is with increased force production a demand on increased force production how do you demand because, because that force? is the only mechanism by which a muscle gets stronger sure sure it adds cross-sectional area yep. so no when i say we're not interested in hypertrophy what i mean by that is we are not interested in focusing on hypertrophy because that's the wrong place to put your focus let me we're interested in getting you stronger because that will cause hypertrophy and we know how to get you stronger yeah let me say it the, the way the way i prefer to say it All is right. um i'm not interested in your ideas on hypertrophy Right. I, I am interested in hypertrophy and making you bigger. I just don't care what you think about it because it's not – that's not – it's not it, it, accurate. It, it doesn't, it's just not fucking accurate. It right? doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. So um, the, the the fundamental question or the fundamental problem here – and this doesn't just apply to, to the fitness industry. It applies to all kinds of things everywhere um, and why first principles thinking is so important. First of all, first principles thinking is a universal language, right? So it doesn't require any – particular specialization or expertise in order for you to use logic and to build arguments and to understand a model and yes. understand a process. Absolutely. So you have that approach, which is one that starting strength, you know, whether on, you know, whether on purpose or just, just by virtue of, uh, of uh, constant questioning and the, the, the way that we've approached this for the last however many years has ended up, that's, that's where we're at. The standard model um, at least in the fitness industry and in a whole lot of industries, is where where is the base of knowledge? It's not in the first principles. The base of knowledge is in the peer review process. So in exercise science, the base of knowledge is in the peer review process. Right. That's the gold standard. That's the that's where that's where methods and recommendations. What, what has been come published? From. It doesn't fucking matter it because it, matter because it may or may not follow it, the first principles. It, it doesn't matter because it's it, it especially in the exercise sciences most of the shit that is published is either outright wrong or it is utterly irrelevant right. to the process 
of getting stronger. Right. If you get stronger, you get bigger. And, you know, I don't care what the cellular mechanisms are for that. I don't care about the cellular mechanisms because they're not relevant to the application of strength training to a client. They're not, re- they're not relevant. What we know is if we take a kid at 155 pounds and we take this kid from 115 three sets of five squat to 315 three sets of five squat, the kid has grown. And I don't really care why he's grown. I just know for a fact that every single time I make the bar go up five pounds in weight and have him squat it for three sets of five, he has to produce more force in order to do that. It's a manageable amount of force because it's only five pounds as an increase. And his adaptation to that amount of increased force production being required to him that day, the adaptation will be bigger, bigger muscles. How they get bigger, I don't care. It's of it's of passing interest to me. I've studied it because I've been doing this 47 years, and yeah, I used to read all that shit. All right, but it, but in it, in the final analysis, it doesn't make any difference what that mechanism is, because what we know is that three sets of five works if you go up in weight every time you do it. Right. What we also know, now this is the hard part. What we also know is that sets of ten don't work. They don't make you bigger. The thing that, that, oh, there was a book written some time ago about sets of 20, super squats was the name of that book, stating that sets of 20 make you bigger. Oh, and it's amazing how much bigger they make you. (laughs) (laughs) Except that they don't. (laughs) Except that they don't. They don't. Nobody ever gained 100 pounds of muscular body weight doing sets of 20. Now, they have gained 100 pounds of muscular body weight doing sets five. Right. And that's just, those are the facts. Yep. Those are the facts. Yeah, sets, it, of 20 are, sets of 20 are light weights. If you can do 20 reps under a, bar, a squat barbell with, a, with, a, with, a, with any whatever weight that is, and you finish on set of 20, that was a light set. Because even though the 20th rep felt like the end of your life. It wasn't heavy. And it moved at about the same rate of speed as the fifth rep did. And I, and the way I know this is because I've done them. I've done them two or three different times a long time ago. Because I'd heard the same thing you guys did, man. You know, if sets of 10 make hypertrophy happen because they're high reps well sets of 20 my god they's got to you just got to just balloon up sure with and, muscle that, mass. and that statement is, is evidence-based that statement you just made about um you know sets of 10 sets of 20 right doing hypertrophy is evidence-based but here's the thing if if you have and and again this is another another reason uh why this is so effective if you have a process that's effective that's demonstrably more efficient than than another process the evidence, if it's of high quality, yeah. should support that 
phenomenology. It, it should support right. that. And if it doesn't, you have some questions to ask about the process. But again, if the process is, is first principles based, if it makes sense and it works, then the question is maybe my maybe my evidence is flawed. Maybe my assumptions are flawed about yeah. what what about my methods that I'm using to evaluate this evidence, right? Uh, but that's not what happens. You get it's the other way around. So you get you get some kind of a study, you get some kind of quote unquote evidence, um, and that gets peer reviewed. It gets accepted, and then then you derive methods from that. But there has been no vetting in terms of process or application no. or in terms of first principles thinking to go along right. with it to check it. They are not either qualitatively or quantitatively accurate. Right. There have been a lot of studies published about hypertrophy with respect to sets and reps and the, exercise and the modalities studied were leg extensions yep. or arm curls. And they very carefully measured these girths. They may have even done the MRIs and calculated the exact right. uh, muscle belly diameters and everything, but th- I don't care about leg That's extensions. That's exactly right. Yeah, the I point- don't care about leg extensions. They don't tell me anything about work done under a squat. Right. Yeah, Because the- we're not concerned with one muscle belly. We're concerned with the accumulation of lean body mass all over the system and every muscle in your body works during a squat and the hormonal changes that the squat stress produces and all of the other mechanical effects of having a big heavy bar on your back and having to make it go up for the fifth rep of the third set five pounds heavier than you did last time produce changes that are not detectable with leg extensions. Changes that are not detectable. And all these studies, I've never, I've never seen a study that's been conducted on deadlifts or squats in terms of this kind of thing because they're too hard to conduct. And yet, the study gets published and some evidence-based practitioner says, well, we've got to do, you know, 10 sets per body part of 10 to 12 reps on machines. And it doesn't work. Now, what works is five or six basic complex movement patterns that are executed in a situation where you're balanced on the floor multiple joints moving at the same time and if you're going to do that with any kind of weight then it ha- the movement pattern has to be a normal bilateral movement pattern to the human body that's why we squat and deadlift and press and bench press and power clean and chin and barbell row we've got there are a few things we can do like this you don't need 80 different exercises what you need is five or six exercises, and you need to use heavy weights. And heavy weights, it must, uh, heavy weights require increased amounts of force production. Increased amounts of force production require bigger muscles. So that's what happens. And that is the simplest analysis that, that you can make of this situation, right? Ten sets per body part. First off, what's a body part? What's that even mean? You know, 
What body parts are you working when you squat? Well, I don't know. And I bet you don't either. What we are working is the whole damn thing. What body parts do we work when we deadlift? Is there a body part left out of the deadlift that's not under tension during a a 5RM deadlift? What is relaxed during a 5RM deadlift? Therefore, body parts, I mean, I, I don't I don't understand the usefulness of thinking in those terms. It's a waste of time to even think about it. If you're it if really you do, is. if you do a typical strength training workout where you're squatting and deadlifting, and it doesn't even matter the the, the I mean you're gonna let's say you do a heavy squat, you do a lighter pull on one day, well, there you go. You have twenty to thirty reps of every body part. Yeah. So I mean yeah. If you've got if you've got the first two pieces of this, if you've got a model that is based off of an integration of first principles and you've got a process that has that works and it works efficiently and it works according to your model the point is that you don't need the quote unquote science it's it's not necessary now, it, it's it's the, interesting and it, it is may, interesting and it may support but it's unnecessary you know what it'd be more interesting is if they conducted the science investigations correctly maybe yeah That'd yeah. be real interesting. Sure. But I have yet to see it happen. Yep. You know. You know, that no, that doesn't mean that but I'm smarter. But it wouldn't change anything than, that we're doing. That doesn't mean that I'm any smarter than, you know, these guys and famous PhD ex phys people. Well def- it, it, it does mean that what I do is more useful. It depends than on how you define smarter. Yeah. Are you better at doing the process of science or are you better at application? I would say the guy that's better at application is smarter. What we have done is we have observed very, very carefully for decades the phenomenology. All right, now let's talk about the phenomenology because this is critical to understanding this this situation. If I take you in my gym, and I, I, I may not know anything at all about this. I may not have. I've got a geology degree, not a ex-phys degree, all right? But I show you how to squat, and I take you from three sets of five at 115 to three sets of five at 315. And I look at your squat form, and I tinker with it, and I make it more efficient. Every time you come in the gym, I make it more efficient. And what happened is you went from 115 to 315 pounds for three sets of five on the squat. In the process of doing so, you've gained 40 pounds of body weight. Now, that's the phenomenology. That's what happened. That is what took place. That's the phenomenon. The phenomenology is what actually happened. All right? Now, if we know what happened, then the explanation for what happened must agree with the phenomenology, or it's not a valid explanation. Now, I've played with all kinds of rep numbers and all of this, all of these variations for decades. I've been doing this for 48 years. And when I see somebody say that sets of 20 or sets of 12 cause hypertrophy, I know 
that that does not comport with the phenomenology. The phenomenology is that when you start doing sets of 12, then you stop making PRs. And when you stop making PRs, you stop growing muscle mass. And that's all there is to it. Now, by PRs, I don't mean singles. But if you take your PR set of five from 115 to 315, the mechanism by which that occurred is bigger muscles. And that is, in fact, the phenomenology. Phenomenology is that the weight went up and your muscle mass went up. You're heavier. Your shoulders are bigger. Your thighs are bigger. Your back is bigger. Everything about you, your arms, your neck, everything on you got bigger. And that's what happens. We've witnessed this for decades. People have been training with sets of fives for 100 years. And they've been doing it outside the limitations imposed upon them by the science, which was done incorrectly. I, you know, this is uh, – I'm as big a science guy as anybody, all right? But what the, – the limitations that the science carries with it are not the limitations in the science itself. The limitations are in the form of the incentives – on the scientists for publishing this paper. If your tenured position is predicated on publication, then you'll produce publication. And quite often, the quality of that publication ends up being low. And do you get paid whether or not you produce high quality material or not? I, if I no. if I stop producing it's just publication counts, how if you I get stop paid. producing results for my clients, I lose clients and I don't get paid. Right. So right. The uh, yeah the so the in other incentives words, aren't aligned. The your phenomenological results are what pays you. Of course. Yeah. Right. But then there's that famous paper from some little school in Australia that had eleven kids. 11 freshmen you know in the in the study group and the question was uh what is the difference in one rm bench press when the bench press is performed on a solid bench or on a swiss ball <laughs> yeah that's an indicator that you should immediately stop reading that it's, now it's, that's you, you know it's, it's useless it's uh the, even the question is stupid the question is stupid the question is stupid. The question was formulated for one purpose, and that was to generate a paper. You got 11 people. You have an N of 11, which is not data. That's not data. Where you, you, you know, the, the heaviest bench press in this entire study was like 253. I mean, this, this, was, this was published for one reason only. And that is for a publication credit for the graduate students that dreamed this insane shut up. Right? Now, 
anybody that's ever benched over 300 understands that you can't do that on on an unstable surface but you got a bunch of kids in there who are ex-phys majors who are there for a master's degree who are badminton players you know they're not going to understand that you know their 105 pound bench press is not sufficiently heavy where it matters what kind of uh, surface stability it's performed on you know it's, you know it doesn't matter this is this is this is cartoonishly stupid but that is in the literature that's the literature now the liter- the literature whether it's in the literature or not is obviously not a function of the quality of the paper that's in the literature yet decisions are based on this what well, you can't do that and, and, and in a situation like this those of us that have been doing this kind of strength training for decades my opinion about this is much more valid than theirs now i don't mean to be ugly i'm just trying to be correct i know what works because i've done both ways i've done it wrong and i've done it right and i have able to compare my notes and i know what results in the outcomes we're looking for when we do strength training i know what makes people stronger and it's not sets of 12. it's not 10 sets per body part that's not what works that's not what works what what those approaches do is generate monthly renewals for personal training fees that's what they generate you got somebody online that you're paying $200 a month and they send you a template and maybe check in with you once every two weeks and you're paying $200 a month to be coached by these people and you haven't PR'd your bench press in six months. Well, you haven't PR'd your bench press in six months. You haven't grown in six months either. That's not hypertrophy. Whereas if I come in and set you up on a program of just the bench press and the press and the squat and the deadlift and a couple other things, and I make you go up five pounds every week, whether you want to or not, if I make you go up five pounds every workout for a while and then five pounds every week and then five pounds every month, once things get real, real heavy, what I have done is I have made you grow because I have created a stress for which the adaptation is hypertrophy without ever even saying the word hypertrophy. Of course, we want you bigger and stronger. That's what we do. We make you bigger and stronger. But you can't do that by watering down the stress to the point that an adaptation to that stress does not require a greater cross-sectional diameter of the muscle mass. 
right? This is a first principles argument. I don't know how to make it any more straightforward. You know, if you've been doing a program which has not generated progress in terms of your one rep maxes, or rather your five rep maxes, or your body weight increasing, and I'm not talking about body fat. Obviously, I'm not talking about body fat. I'm talking about your, are your legs bigger? Are your shoulders bigger? Are your lats wider? Is yeah, your you, you, back can, deeper? You, don't, you don't even have to. I mean, seriously, you don't even have to consider the uh, like if you're let's say you're having a discussion with somebody about hypertrophy. You don't even have to talk about five rep maxes or one rep maxes or anything. You don't have to talk about load. You just ask. How much have your arms grown in the last right. six months? How right. much have your legs grown in the last year? That tells you everything you need to know. It really does. You, you know, because, because you've either done it or you haven't. And and if you have done it with suboptimal training, you're you're very genetically gifted, or you're on drugs. Uh, if you're not, you know, you you uh, you've done it probably one of two ways. Now the question is, have you done it efficiently or not? Right, because you could still get big and strong. How long did it? take? How long did it take you? Right, because right. that's the other question. So. Um, so that kid we're talking about that comes in at squatting 115 for three sets of five and ends up at 315 for three sets of five, six, seven months later, what's happened to his arms? Yeah. But doing any arms. Yeah. They've got, they've grown an inch and a half. People say this shit to me all the time. They're like, I've been, I've been doing a hypertrophy based program for the last six months and blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And, and the first question I ask is how much have your legs grown in the last six months? How much have your arms grown in the last six months? And usually they've gotten smaller. Um, yeah. Or they've stayed the same. So They've either stayed so, the same, but a lot of times so they've the, gotten smaller. So the next thing I say is you have not been doing a hypertrophy Then you program. have not hypertrophied. Right. If you've been doing a hypertrophy program and hypertrophy has not occurred, then the phenomenology tells you or you <laughs> that the program's got the wrong name, yeah, you doesn't failed. it? <laughs> yeah, hypertrophy does not mean a rep scheme. Hypertrophy means literally did you, are your muscles bigger? That's all it means. It doesn't have anything to do bigger? with a rep scheme. And decades and decades and decades of experience have taught us that nothing makes your body bigger and stronger than sets of five. I don't care what the papers say. I don't care what the science says. I don't care what the research, the published research, the peer-reviewed research. I don't care what it says. It doesn't work because you can't show me somebody that's been doing sets of 12 for a year that's grown in the absence of testosterone and dianabol. takes both. Now, you can... You know, you can skew the results of your exercise program by taking a bunch of anabolic steroids, right? But that's got to be enumerated as a variable, doesn't that's right. it? And I bet it hadn't been. Yep, that's right. Right? Yeah, this uh, is, you know, your your comment about um, your experience versus the, uh, the, the standard approach is, uh, is really valuable. Let me just add something to that because the way that you – the way that you expand the things that you can do as Mark Ripito with 40 plus years of experience uh, and expand it effectively while 
while staying to the the thing that you're actually trying to do is exactly what we've been talking about this whole time. You you distill the arguments down to their basic form. You build your arguments up from the first principles. Yes. And what you have uh, what you have seen over your years of doing this as a strength coach, uh, if you're doing it the right way, should match. And it just ha- and I right. say this to people all the time. In your case, it just happened to fucking work out that way because of who you are and the way you've approached things. It happened to work out that way. Um, I don't think that you sat down at the age of 20-whatever and, no. and figured all this shit out. I you just no doing, idea. Right. So it just happens that here no we are today idea. in 2023, and um, you know, for various reasons, the first principles in the model match what your experiences have been and that's changed a little bit probably over the last 10 years or so or, yeah, or a little longer. bit right but 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 it all matches right but, and everything but, gets closer yes. and closer to those to that model the phenomenology must agree with the explanation right or the explanation is not an explanation yep, yep. and so, that's just all there is to it yeah so in, in teaching this to people and especially teaching it to coaches you don't have to have the 40 years of experience. I mean, obviously, that's a that's a very helpful factor, but um, you don't have to have the 40 years of experience. You definitely sure as fuck do not have to have the exercise science background. What you need to do is understand the first principles on a conceptual level, which are anatomy, physiology, uh, mechanics, um, and then a couple of other things. The, the other first principles, and these are, these are my, I don't know, if you tell me what you think about this, but the things I always say, First principles are things that are difficult to argue with, right? They're irreducible. They're irreducible. They are irreducible. They're hard to argue with. If I can't get an agreement from the person I'm arguing with or explaining something to on things like physics, anatomy, and physiology, like how shit works at a fundamental level, then we can't have any further discussion, right? No, because we're not operating from the same database. Exactly right. Right. So that's where your first principles are. are, You know, muscles work a certain way. Physics works a certain way, right. or mechanics works a certain way, and then your anatomy, stress recovery adaptation works a certain right. way. So you start there, right. right? And then on top of that, we can add two more. Uh, efficiency is the other one. Yes. Right? Because, again, you can do all of the other ones in a, in a strength training program and still be effective but not efficient. Right. right? If it takes two years exactly. when it should have taken six months. Exactly right. So efficiency is the other one, and efficiency also in terms of movement. And then the other one is to get strong. That's the other. That's the other first principle. So there's five first principles that are completely uh, inclusive within starting strength, and that that explains the whole thing from the the way the lifts are done to the programming to um, the the rep schemes and the loading schemes. The entire fucking thing is built off of those five first principles. Right. You, you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, so, absolutely. And this is, this is why we are perceived as dogmatic. Right. By some people. We are perceived as dogmatic. Because, once again, these first principles are irreducible. Right. You're going to argue with me about gravity? Right, or you just you, know, you argue with me about force production, or you just don't understand you know, how it actually works, right? You know, so, like, let's not have the discussion about how to squat if you don't understand balance, right? Like, we got to start there. Like, we can't even have a discussion about this, right? And that, the, and this is where you're, the, this the is skeleton's where, a system of levers. You have to understand the principles of moment force and leverage before you can understand why we do the squat, the deadlift, the way we do it, because the principles of leverage and the particulars of musculoskeletal anatomy have to be part of your analysis. Right. 
And if they're not part of your analysis, then we can't have a discussion. Right, which is what exercise science fails to do. They look at one specific piece, if that, if right? That. And they're not looking at it at a first principles level. They're just looking at, you know, here's here's some assumptions. Here's what we're going to do. Right. Let's test it, see what happens. And then there you go. You got a piece of evidence-based literature. You know? Oh, God, I dropped my membership in the National Strength and Conditioning Association in 2009 after having read their two utterly nonsensical journals for for 20 years and the the literature is very bad literature is very very bad and uh the fact that our blue book is not heavily annotated from the strength conditioning literature is what I would consider to be a, a good point. Yep. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, we argue from first principles and logic and arithmetic and things like that, not from badly done papers by graduate students. Yeah, there's no need to lend, there, there's no need to seek authority through citation and references if your arguments are logical right make make sense from a first principles perspective and also have tied to it an effective and efficient process that's that it's reproducible over and over and over again so again the the all the other shit is is the problem is it's so bad that it's 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 not even worth considering like just throw all the shit away right but right. um if, if there is anything uh that that the uh, exercise science and science is like with with quotes right um, that they can provide it's it's only to support or or make things a little bit more interesting for the really nerdy people out there but it's totally unnecessary um, you you just you just don't need it you know and and if you just look through anything that that matters that people have done that uh, you know where, where somebody just just steps aside from conventional wisdom. In almost all those instances, it's been somebody just challenging assumptions based on first principles. You know, it's just like people are just doing shit the way that it's always been done. Right. Because they're stuck in a process. Because they haven't. An institution. They haven't they thought haven't about it. They're just back doing it. Yeah, exactly. And said, why does the deadlift come off of the ground yeah, that's every the single question. time with the shoulders slightly in front of the bar and the hips in a position that places the bar directly over the middle of the foot with the knee mostly in extension already why is that why is that the position the deadlift comes off of the right. floor yep no yeah. one did that before we did it yep yeah and and that that question is answerable from a first principles perspective. Right. It's not answered by, well, that's because that's the way we do it. Because that's the way we do it. Because that's always worked for me. That's, that's or that's a, how it's worked for that guy. That's who's how it works for the right? greatest in the world. Yeah. Well, those no, are, those it's aren't not. good arguments. Yeah. It, it, it's not a good argument. Even if it was true, it's not a good that's argument. Exactly right. But it's not true. And. And yeah, even if you're right, if the answer is because it works, that's fucking bullshit. You have to be able to explain why. Why? Are you not curious enough to ask why it works that way? Right. No, the answer are is you no. So, are, are you so satisfied with just the fact that it works that you're not interested in why it works? Do you not understand that answering why it works might improve it 
and a whole bunch of other stuff at the same time. Right? Do you not understand why the deadlift coming off of the floor in that position with the arms at seven degrees or so, the shoulders slightly in front of the bar, the hips in this position, the knees in this position, why the deadlift coming off of that off the floor in that position might inform your clean or your snatch? Do you not understand that? I, I this you know. Yeah, the good news. Terribly frustrating. Well, the good news for us is that most people don't operate that way, right? Most people don't ask why they, uh, if things are working for them, uh, the ego doesn't allow them to question what they're doing. Right. uh, If people are paying them specifically um, until a big problem shows up. And that doesn't really happen in the strength training world, right? Um, I mean, I've, I've walked into situations where something is, a process is all fucked up. And it's just because nobody has questioned the the, the, the base right. assumptions, right? And if you just you just look at it and be like, well, hold on, like, tell me how this works, tell me how this works, like, and, and then you look like a goddamn genius, right? But all you did was ask, all, all you why you're why are you doing this? Back up a little bit, right? Right, yeah. And say why? Yep. Why are you doing this? You know why? And then think through the and process they, of why. And they haven't thought about. They haven't taken a they second haven't, about why. They haven't prioritized the process of learning why exactly right they they yep. don't value the why yep. all they value is the what exactly right and this is not uh this is intellectual laziness that's exactly is what right. it is yeah yep. it's intellectual laziness yeah is what it is yeah so it's kind of a bold statement to say that the people involved in exercise science are intellectually lazy but they really are you know, they really they're, are. They're, they're you know, following and their a, little system at school. Well, makes they're following them a process that's built to to have a certain outcome, right? right? Which is which is either submit papers, you know, pass whatever the fuck. But the the right. the, uh, the the outcomes or the uh, the incentives are not actual like real life uh, outcome based. Like, are you actually producing results? That's not part of the deal. So so yeah, I mean, it's a uh, it's a very little value to anything that we're doing, right? Yeah, it, you know, and there are some good people involved in the exercise sciences. You know, I've been acquainted with several of them. Oh, sure, they're, they're good inquisitive, people, but, good people, but but by the same token, uh, they're not qualified to coach. They're not mo- coaches. They're not coaches. They we, can't. They can't walk onto a deadlift platform with somebody fucking something up right. and know exactly how to correct it. Yep, because their expertise is. In an academic process. In academic processes, not practical, mechanical solutions. Right. You know. Yeah, and that's an important thing to state. Their their expertise is in in an academic process that carries with it some knowledge of of whatever the subject matter is. Sure. But but if you don't have the practical application, we, we we will produce a quality coach in seven months that a university can't produce in six years. That's absolutely true. Every single time. And we do it all the time. All the time. And with with enough knowledge that they could hold their own in an argument on on the process with that right. same individual who's come out of a six-year degree. There is nothing about understanding myofibrillar That's a tough hypertrophy one. or sarcoplasmic hypertrophy that helps you fix a guy's deadlift. There is nothing in in muscle physiology, nothing that contributes to the process of more efficient 
barbell strength training. Right. All right. Now, it is good if a barbell coach understands these hypertrophy processes. It's good. It's not necessary. Right. But it's good. It's good that you're curious about that. And, yeah, I think you need to read Brooks and Fahey. I think you, I think you need to read it. I think you need the information that's in that just for completeness. Sure. But, but this, Brooks this, and Fahey doesn't teach you how to teach a squat. Yeah, the thing that the thing that I found is that the the people who pursue this because it's 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 not it's not, it's not academically demanding. Um, it is it is very demanding in terms of uh, what the what the process requires and the uh, and the 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 ultimate outcome requires. It produces people who are curious enough to to pursue that knowledge, right? So in other words, yes. you don't you don't have to feed the knowledge up front. You teach the process you teach the principles you get people working and then the, the people who are left at the end of that process um, are the ones who who have the intellectual curiosity to to go deeper into some of that stuff right it's not required right. but if you want to read brooks and fahey it's not going to hurt anything it'll make you a better coach especially in terms of things like the two-factor model and how to apply things outside of the novice linear progression right. but um well it makes you in the same sense that calc one Makes you a better coach. Right. Yep. All of that stuff will make you a better coach. In that, it teaches you, it orders your thinking. Right. That's that's the value of that. It orders your thinking. Calc 1 is much more valuable to a strength coach than freshman exercise physiology. Because Calc 1 demands ordered thinking. And ordered thinking is always applicable everywhere in the world. Everywhere in the world. Freshman exercise physiology is not. Freshman exercise physiology does not teach you how to fix a bad deadlift. It does not teach you how to analyze and correct a squat. Calc 1, on the other hand, gives you the intellectual tools that you need to do that so it's more valuable and once again we're back to first principles aren't we yep well that's all i got same same all right well well i hope you guys enjoyed this rant i guess you'd have to call this a rant right <laughs> uh, people like here's rant <laughs> you know Oh, it's not just a rant. There's some, uh, there's some useful information, well, background information there, right? Information. I think yeah. if it, I think clarified this discussion clarifies our position on a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, we're right and they're wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. Refute the argument. Yeah, there's there's that uh, tired, you know, used up saying that uh, a, a, what is it? Something like a master is a master of the basics or some shit like that you, you've heard that before no nah, <laughs> no nah, sounds oriental you know how <laughs> i don't I know that it's oriental you don't know anything you know how i am about orientals <laughs> but, well yeah that's true you'll eat their food but <laughs> i not will much eat their else. Food. um but no, the, the people who are very effective are are have a, a solid fucking grasp of the base concepts yes. and how they work together and and that that is aside from you know actually working with people 
um, and working with lots of people, that is the uh, th- that's the the foundation of a really good coach who's very effective. Um, you don't you don't have to know everything about mus- muscle physiology. You don't have to know everything about macros and nutrition in terms of the the biochemistry. Doesn't fucking matter if you have a good uh, conceptual understanding of the fundamental first principles. And you can organize those into right. a process, which we've conveniently done for you in starting strength. Right. Right. We've conveniently uh, done that for you. We've sorted right. through the phenomenology of decades and decades and millions of hours of coaching experience. And we have distilled a thing that comports with what actually happens in the gym and why. Yep. And I think it's a pretty damn good place to start. That's right. That's right. Yep. Thanks for being with us. On Starting Strength Radio, we will see you next time.